What's going on, everybody? So great to see you all again. Welcome once again to the C2C podcast, where today we'll be continuing our journey through the pages of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. As always, we're your hosts, Ron Jags and Drew Cullen. Drew, say hi to the people for me. Hey, Harry Potter fans. I'm assuming if you're still with us at this point, you have become Harry Potter fans. I'm hoping, at least. And Drew, if not yet, we still have plenty of book one and the whole rest of the series in order to convert them. We're not a cult, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now say what you guys will about us. Say we're, say we're dumb. It's probably not too far off say we don't understand the book debatable i think we're relatively qualified to talk about this say our content sucks i mean actually you know no please don't say that we're still a growing podcast we need all the help we could get please leave positive reviews but anything else is fair game you could say anything however don't say that we're not consistent with our promise drew and i are on a special mission every week and we aren't letting thousands of miles of flyover state put a stop to what we're trying to do here no chance no chance uh, thanks to the magic of Google Hangouts, we are still able to link up in order to take you guys on a magical journey through some of our favorite fantasy novels. And like we touched upon a little bit ago, hopefully they'll become some of your favorites too. Today in particular, we'll be covering chapters 11 through 14 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. A little warning to our new listeners, and as always a gentle reminder to our veteran listeners out there, if we have any, all probably six of you maybe at the high end of that. Drew is Mr. No Spoilers, and I am very much in the camp of being a lover of spoilers i usually can't help myself if, if anything is being posted but i am trying to reform myself so in our coverage of the series we are doing our absolute best to avoid giving you guys any however we and by we i 100 percent mean me myself can end up getting excited and we might end up giving away some late series links to current events i know that is not intentional but just like my birth accidents happen so let this be your warning and with this section that we're about to go over in particular, it's going to be very hard, even for me. There's just so much setup in these next upcoming chapters that spoiling is almost just pointing out the foreshadowing. It's not even purposely like being a jerk and spoiling things. Yeah, Drew, you're right, man. It's not just spoilers for what'll be happening later in this book. It's a lot of stuff that could be tied to what goes on later in the series. So like I'm saying, we're definitely going to be doing our best to avoid giving away, giving away a lot of that stuff. But if we do know that we didn't mean to, and sorry for spoiling a very old book series for you guys, you should have read it sooner. So now that we've gotten our disclaimer out of the way, Drew, let's get down to business here. To start us off, how about you give us what you would consider to be a central theme of the section that we just went through. Uh, something for the audience to consider as they work their way through their chapters on their own and as they listen to what we discussed. This one was tough theme-wise because it's all plot pushing. Everything has to do with moving the plot forward. The biggest thing that I would have to go with theme-wise is backing up your friends, no matter who they are, no matter how well of a position they're in. As we see in the next couple chapters, even these 11-year-old kids have to back Hagrid up when he needs it. And they're backing Harry up while Harry's up playing Quidditch. And at one point, they're even defending Quirrell. So it's that no matter who they are, whether they're friends, acquaintances, just people that you know not to be mean, you should go and defend them when they're being attacked. You know, I think that's pretty well put. You'll definitely see a lot of scenarios like that throughout the reading in this section. And that's pretty good on you to pick that up, Drew. I definitely did not even consider that. But now that you bring it up, you, you definitely see that a lot. And I think you've made a very good point here. So I'm in the same boat as you, man. I... I'll admit, I had a hard time 
trying to find a, a good theme to focus on as we read this section. It was definitely, like you said, a lot of setup, a lot of just kind of typical story pushing reading and things of that nature. But, you know, I, I was thinking, man, it's really difficult, but I don't make any excuses, my dude. I give the people what they want and I dive deeper into this reading to figure out what my people want to see as a theme. So when I did my dip, did my deep diving, oh my God, those D's are hard to say. Good Lord. <laughs> Speaking of D, I found that the big central theme for me in this section is the theme of desire, and you could even extend it to a theme of longing. So we see it in smaller batches in the Quidditch chapters that we're going to be covering, where it's Harry's deepest desire to help the team win and prove that he's more than just a famous name. You know, he wants to show everybody that he belongs especially like you go back to those chapters with snape where he is in the potions dungeon and he knew absolutely nothing when he came in here and everybody's like oh famous potter oh justice name only our local celebrity ho 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 like that kind of stuff and again you go more with the story section the gang really has a deep desire to figure out who this nicholas Fumel is and what could be his connection to what's under the trap door in that third floor corridor and just what's underneath there and who is plotting to do anything with what's hidden below and then definitely the greatest example here that we'll get into a little bit more in chapter 12 is the mirror of Erised itself where Rod and Harry and Harry especially are very much drawn into the mirror and Harry just his longing and desire it's almost unhealthy and he's drawn to the mirror in almost an irresistible way so I would say that I think this plays a pretty big part in a lot of the sections that we're going to be covering and I do think it's interesting that you pointed out that Harry's biggest insecurity is that he's not more than just the scar on his head he's not more than just the famous name and he's trying to prove that through quidditch where ron as we see later with the mirror it feels the exact same way he feels like he's not more than a last name he's not more than just the youngest weasley brother and he's really trying to prove that through whatever means necessary and in his head that easiest way would be through quidditch and being the house head house boy head boy in the movies i get the prefix and the head boys confused so it's going to be good seeing the difference again in the books yeah definitely and you'll see some head boy stuff a little bit later we really don't even know who the head boy is right now it's just we just got prefix so as we get a little bit further on you'll kind of see where that divide pops up and then once we see who the head boy is we don't see prefix so it's pretty funny how that ends up working out and then drew i think what we just covered here will suffice for for now and we're only covering a couple chapters today. Like we said before, it's just chapters 11 through 14, but we do have some fun stuff and some deep stuff to get through here. So without further ado, let's take a deep look into the mirror. Uh, we're gonna check out the restricted section and defrost our broomsticks. We've got some Quidditch matches to win. Yes. So here we go. Chapter 11 is Quidditch. I cannot wait. I was so excited to read this. We're filming this during uh, hopefully what is the very end of quarantine. There has been no live sporting events for, if I think it's nearly two months now. This is the closest thing I've had to a sport. I love it. Quidditch is the best. Yeah, and Drew, I'll tell you what, even though we do get a little bit of sports here, you could bet your butt we're still going to be complaining about them. Oh, of course. Either way. That's the best part of sports. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be complaining just you wait. So, <laughs> like Drew said, very well put in the intro, by the way. Thank you very much, Drew. It is time for some sports. And it's about freaking time, man. Uh, the first Quidditch match of the year is coming up, and the stakes could not be higher at all. Uh, victory for Gryffindor over Slytherin would put them all the way up in second place in the standings for the House Cup, which is 
probably better than they've done in a very long time. Gryffindor has been, if not basement dwellers, very close to it for quite a while, ever since our boy Charlie Weasley started playing with dragons instead of catching snitches. Also, again, so, raises a lot of questions for me on how this house cup thing works, because all we've seen is Harry and crew losing points left and right. Hey, man, they could have somebody getting points for them. You, we don't see Lavender Brown, uh, Parvati Patel. We don't see what they do during class. They could be earning some points. No, you're right. Neville's out there absolutely killing it in uh, potions class. I'm sure Snape is giving him all the points. Totally. He's making world-class world brews out there. There's no, no <laughs> way that Professor Snape could pass up and ignore Neville's potions expertise. Absolutely not. No chance. So again, we've got pretty big stakes here for this Quidditch match. And then Harry was supposed to be the secret weapon. He was supposed to be our X factor for the Gryffindor Quidditch team. But naturally, somebody either Hagrid blabbed or Bill Belichick's uh, filming of the Quidditch practices for the team Gryffindor got leaked. I don't know what happened. One of the things definitely went down because naturally nothing is ever kept secret at Hogwarts either. So it seems like almost everybody knows that Harry is the seeker for Gryffindor now. And he's getting a pretty good mix of people either giving him encouragement, saying that he's got this, or talking trash, saying that they'll be running around with mattresses underneath the Quidditch game waiting to catch him when he inevitably falls down. Just, and just for reference on the this, pressure. Just for reference on the spying thing, like, I can't imagine how easy it would be to just walk out to the Quidditch practice field during Gryffindor practice time because they're supposed to have specific like Slytherin can't come out during this time. It's Gryffindor's time. So obviously if I'm Malfoy, I'm just going to go hang up in the stands during Gryffindor time and see who's their seeker if they haven't announced it yet. So I, I feel like it's pretty easy. Can't really blame Harry for blabbing his mouth, which I'm sure he did. But I'm sure if Slytherin wanted to know, it was easy to figure out. Oh, dude, it's really easy. Uh, you see it a little bit later in the series when they're having a Quidditch practice. They have, uh, naturally, our keeper is not going to be on the team forever. He's a little aged. When they eventually get a new one and they're doing some tryouts, some practicing here where they're just testing out, seeing how he gels with the team, you've got the entire Slytherin team up in the stands watching and heckling them. So like, of course. there really is, there's nothing stopping them from watching these matches or watching these practices we'll get more into how this stuff makes no sense and we're going to actually start that right now so drew i went back through our old show docs i like to make sure that i'm covering everything as we go through uh i like to see anywhere that i could have made some changes in order to continuously improve these and i realized that we we're terrible and we completely glossed over how to actually play quidditch and what the positions are which uh, they explained it right on those pages right but of <laughs> course in our defense we were learning at that point, and one of the few things I do remember from the books is how to play Quidditch, so I didn't think to ask, because Quidditch is the best, and I love it. Naturally. It makes sense, but we got to keep in mind that we have some people who haven't read the series before on here, or some people that haven't looked at it in a while, so of course. we do have to cater to them. And if, so, if for our listeners, if you do notice we miss something, gloss over something, if you do have a question, just drop it uh, down in the comments, wherever you're listening, and we'll be sure to make it a video of its own or throw it into a future video. Exactly. We are very open to criticism here, and we will do whatever we can to improve for you guys, and that is a promise. I will also take the blame for this because I'm the one who writes the show docs for these episodes, so that's my bad, guys. Anyway, as many people will probably attest to, uh, Quidditch is probably one of the worst designed sports in history, but I will bet that it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch, like we were saying before. Like, just going to the stands, that'd be awesome to check it out. It starts off basic enough. We have seven players on either side. To break down the positions, we have three chasers who handle a larger red ball that is called a quapple. 
and attempt to get it past the opposing keeper, who is akin to the goalie on the opposing team. And they are trying to score a goal through one of the three elevated hoops on the opposite end of the pitch, which naturally, like if you have watched soccer before, the keeper is going to be blocking those regs and hoping that they could prevent the other team from scoring. Uh, each goal scored will net 10 points to the scoring team. And then to make things difficult on either team, there are two beaters that essentially play defense. They fly around with a little small rounded bat called the beater's bat, and they will hit these little murder balls that fly around called bludgers at opposing team's players. They kind of have a mind of their own, and they just fly around wreaking havoc the entire game. So the importance of the beater right there is that they keep them at bay from hitting their own teammates, and they try to redirect them to the opposing team. I can't the stress enough, player, these are murder balls. These are literally cannonballs that are being hit with baseball bats at each other. If you get hit with one of these in the head, you're going to either get a serious concussion or die. Just can't stress that enough that these 11-year-olds are playing with this. Oh, no, dude. It gives you, you get a shattered skull, man. It's very common, very common, especially if there's some friendly fire that goes down. You end up in the hospital wing with a shattered skull ready to murder your substitute keeper. Spoilers. Yeah, and there's um, no there's no <laughs> T-ball rules here. There's no, oh, it's seven and under, so we're going to put the ball on the tee, or we're going to use a dodgeball instead of a cannonball. Like, no, no, no. As soon as you're up on that broom, you're playing regulation-sized bludgeons. Oh, yeah. These things, this is a very dangerous sport. I can't believe they allow children to play this. But anyway, um, the keeper's job, uh, sorry, wow, the seeker's job is to search out a flying golden ball called the golden snitch. It is a little tiny, shiny golden ball. It's got wings, flies around. It's very fast, very difficult to spot. It makes it even harder to catch. So catching the snitch both ends the match and rewards the catching team 150 points, which is mostly... A guaranteed win. Not not 100% of the time, but probably about 99%. Uh, stay tuned. And there's also apparently over 700 ways to commit a foul during Quidditch. Very expansive rule book, but no exaggeration. I think Madam Hooch calls maybe 10 fouls over the entire series. So I'm not sure if that's because she isn't paying attention at all during these matches, or we just have a bunch of very fundamentally sound Quidditch players looking like the San Antonio Spurs of magical sports out here with a flawless passing and clean gameplay. But for the record, my money is on the former that she just swallows her whistle and is not very competent as a referee. In her defense, if it is, if she's only calling penalties for this one league, at least there's some consistency with the lack of rule calling. It's not like having a different referee for every NFL game and then every NFL game has a different pass interference call. It's at least she's going to referee similarly throughout this entire league. Yeah, but that makes every game like the uh, Rams-Saints NFC Championship game from a couple years ago. Which, hey, that is an absolute blast to watch. I was uh, in Disney watching that, and I almost tore the roof down on the hotel I was staying at because I could not believe it. It was insane. It was bonkers. It also goes to show that the Saints fans are good enough at complaining to get a rule changed, but the NFL is too proud to actually enforce it. Yeah, they're going to change it uh, for one year and then be like, oh, it didn't work. We didn't like it. We're going back. Didn't work as in you told your referees not to overturn any calls. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but we won't go into NFL conspiracy theories. Maybe that could be another podcast, Drew. That could be fun. Stay tuned. We might come up with one of those. That'll be a good time. Anyway, so let's go. I want to do a deeper dive here even more into Quidditch, even though we just kind of went over how ridiculous the setup is. The scoring system makes absolutely no sense. So super broken, especially when catching one little ball ends the game and is worth 15 times as much as scoring a goal. And then we see in the book also that there's mention that 
there have been extremely long matches to the point where they've had to send players home and bring on reserves so that they could sleep because the game went on over the course of months. But the Hogwarts teams don't dress any backups for any of these. So you quickly run into a case where if your seeker gets hurt and can't play, your team literally has no way to win the game. They can't end the game at all. And because your points scored in Quidditch matches are added to your house total for the house cup. So like there goes our hopes of a 50 to 48 house cup victory, unless these Quidditch games, like somehow they lose points at the end. Uh, it appears defense does not in fact win house cups RIP to our <laughs> big marketing idea, Drew. Such a bummer. Realistically, if you wanted to play really dirty, you could find a way to injure the opposing team seeker and literally allow the match to continue until you've scored enough points to either A, close the massive gap in house points at the end of the year, or B, you could just add to your house points lead until it's basically impossible for any other team to win. So this is super broken and it makes no sense. Right, so two two things to, that I needed to point out here. I completely agree. Very strange system. Doesn't make much sense, especially within the Hogwarts system because it seems like the seeker that is there for each of these teams is the best in the world. There's no games that are going three days in Hogwarts Quidditch League. I don't know if the snitch is bigger and flies slower or what, but I don't understand how these professional teams are taking three days to catch a snitch that Harry can catch in 15 minutes. And, and yeah, going into this House Cup victory, it confuses me a little bit because the very first game they say if Gryffindor wins against Slytherin in that first game of the season, they'll automatically go up to second in house points. But you just said that it's based off points scored, so that doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, man. I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense here. And then something else that they talk on a little bit later, spoilers, I'm just going to say it right now. They say that Alicia Spinette was a reserve in her in last year on the team. So she was technically a backup chaser, but they never dressed her for any games. So if any of their chasers got hurt, they were just down to play 2v3 in terms of chasers. So I don't understand. They also deny her her Quidditch varsity letter. Are you kidding? It's not fair. She goes to practice. She puts in work. She deserves it. Oh, so you're a, you're a participation trophy kind of varsity letter guy. No, I'm saying if she dresses for the varsity games, then she's technically on varsity. If she, she does not we play have... in the varsity games, she's not varsity. True, we don't have JV Quidditch. We don't have an opportunity to let these kids show what they can do. They can only show out in practice. And you know the captains are in charge of the depth chart, which makes even less sense. So there's no way that they're going to bench one of their guys for somebody else who is a reserve. The only way is to get their chaser to resign. So they have to bully somebody into leaving the team in order to make any kind of depth chart changes. And they need to have actual coaches. Agree. They do need to have actual coaches. I am not about just handing varsity letters out to backups, though. All right, man. Teach, teach their own. I think she put in the work. <laughs> I think she should have been wearing her red and gold Gryffindor. It's probably got a roaring lion on the back. It's probably so cool. And she didn't get to have it to flex on the second years last year. That's such a bummer. I think that's extremely unfair. But anyway, that's enough for Epicon Quidditch for now. We have plenty of time to do that later. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So we come back to our gang. They are out enjoying the grounds. It's late fall, probably early winter, just about give or take. It's definitely not snowy yet, but it's definitely cold enough to warrant. Like, I always love this little piece of magic. It was always like really fun to see it in the books. I always really enjoyed this where Hermione could make these little bluebell flames and she just like conjures them and she could like scoop them into a jar and stuff. I always thought they were really cool. Would love to know what the spell actually is because it's not incendio that sends out like a big gut jut of like fire. So definitely not that. It doesn't come up too much after this. I think it's just more of like a here and there thing. But like, I always like seeing it. It's always really cool. Yeah, it's but super interesting because Incendio is also not a blue flame, right? No, it's definitely just like a regular red flame. So the only other blue flame that I've seen 
anywhere in the Harry Potter universe is actually in Fantastic Beasts Crimes of Grindelwald when Grindelwald summons the blue flame. So I wonder if this is like a toned down version of like this citywide decimation spell. <laughs> Hot take, Hermione's doing dark magic. <laughs> I mean, if anyone would, Hermione would just accidentally read a book about dark magic and get it confused right. with good magic. <laughs> She's nah, like, she's bro, I, I read eight books last night. I don't know which one was dark, <laughs> all right? Uh, uh, she's definitely more responsible than that. So I don't think that would totally be the case, but it's, it's interesting to think about if that's the only comparison we could draw this to, you know? So Also interesting that you say she's more responsible, which we will get into uh, in a couple chapters on how I think Hermione is the most irresponsible person in this section. Wow, interesting. All right, I'm very, very intrigued to hear that take. So let's at, keep At least 11-year-old Hermione. I'm not saying that as she grows older, she doesn't get more responsible. Just at this point, I think she's in her head a little bit too much. Okay. She's open right, her eyes, fair. look at the outside world. Okay. All right. That's fair. I, I'm i definitely intrigued to see where you bring this up and in what capacity you bring this up. So let's keep going. Not too fast, not too slow, just right. So like, if there's one thing that JKR does really well, like I was talking about with these flames, she does a really good job with these callbacks. And every time you see the mention of these little bluebell flames, it's like a nice little like, oh, she used to do that with the guys way back in first year. So I think that's really cool. And she does a really good job with these throughout the series. Even something that's so small that you could think like it's just a little inconsequential thing in book one. When you get to the point in like book seven and they're bringing it up, it's like a nice little reminder, especially when you see the group react to it after. There's a really good one later on. So no spoilers, but it's a lot of fun. I will definitely mention it in one of the book seven pods once we get to it. Anyway, Snape forever a twat. He scolds the kids for taking a library book outside, which I don't know how that would be against the rules, honestly in case they're exposing it to the elements. Maybe Hermione's folding down the pages to dog ear him as a bookmark. If he had anything that he could get him for, it's for using magic outside of class. But other than that, I don't see what he's doing. I think he's just being a jerk, and he deducts some points. Which you have but... to be able to use magic outside of class, because otherwise, how would you do your homework? So there's literally, one of the kids even says that he literally just made up this rule to sub subtract points because he was upset. Because he's a jerk. I'm definitely going to make an in-defensive series, and Snape's going to be one of the first in-defensive Snape videos that I make, and I can't can't wait. Oh, I would love to be the counterpoint on that. Please okay. sign me up for that. In defense of the Dursleys is definitely going to be the first video. Please put me on that as well. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to stand for any of your hot takes outside of this podcast. I will let them fly here, but not in a separate debate video, Drew. It's not happening. Obviously, for <laughs> veterans of the book, In Defense of Snape is a normal argument that is made. So I am very excited to make the In Defense of the Dursleys video because I think it's actually a hot take. Oh, you're making me so mad. All right, <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> so when Snape's kind of walking away after he's just like, Potter, you got a book, nah, she, and he takes away points, he's like hobbling off. And Harry's like, what the fuck is this? What's going on here? Harry's like, this dude's a jerk. I want my book back. So he goes to go to Snape's office to get the books back, and he walks in on filch and snape in a very compromising position get your mind out of the gutter filch is just bandaging snape's lower leg up his leg is super messed up and like when harry's about to go in there he overhears them talking about the three-headed dog he's like oh how are you supposed to focus on all three heads at once uh, she potter uh, just like your father and it basically guarantees that snape was up to something involving that corridor on halloween when he kind of disappeared when ron and harry saw him go off by himself and the gang's like super curious about what he could be after. This might be one of your points that you're talking about, Drew, where Hermione's like, oh, Snape's a teacher, huh? He wouldn't do anything like that. He's a good guy, man. 
and the guys are like provided the proof is right here you saw like harry heard him talk about that and his leg is there's definitely something up here but you can kind of see either side where like there's definitely some bias where the dudes hate him and there's not a lot of love there but it's it's also hard to argue against what harry might have overheard it definitely it puts snape in a very compromising position i think it does i'm actually on team hermione here though um and hagrid and Hagrid's also on Team Hermione later, too, when he defends Snape. I'm going to bring up something real quick from Chapter 13 or 14, because I think it's important. When Hagrid is bringing up all the names of the teachers that help construct the defenses that are underneath Fluffy, Snape is one of those names. So just another point under the Albus Dumbletroll column here is uh, he literally tells Snape, hey, go build some defenses under this three-headed dog. Snape's like, um, are you going to tell me like how to get by the three-headed dog? Dumbledore's like, no, no, no. Just like get by it i believe in you snape's like but isn't it gonna try to kill me and i was like yeah I, it's fine so uh yeah dumbledore's a troll as usual ah dude he's just a tester man he likes to let people test their test their strengths out and usually it doesn't go well for a little while but he's got the right idea in the end that is not how snape feels in this situation i mean you're probably right you're probably right. <laughs> snape is so upset he's like i was just trying to do my job get my paycheck this man's trying to get me eaten by a dog hate this stupid school i should have worked at a private school this is garbage he's about to they don't make transfer to derm string <laughs> no he's about to go to bogota's where all the gorgeous women are yeah you know they would never accept him yeah probably not he needs to take a shower creepy snape looking hair. greasy yeah. hair yeah. <laughs> dude's literally leaving a snail trail everywhere he walks <laughs> that's just his potions falling out <laughs> God, that's so disgusting. He's yeah. so grimy. I actually just feel really bad for Snape in this situation because Tumbledore literally set him up to fail. <laughs> you do got to feel bad for him sometimes, but no, zero defense for Snape. I hate Snape. Anyway, we work towards the morning of our Quidditch match, and Drew, I think this is more to you and any of our other sports fans that are listening to this pod like did oliver wood go to the andy dalton school of pump-up speeches have you ever seen that video of andy dalton trying to give his team a pump-up speech in the tunnel before Bengals game i didn't i actually immediately went to the Jameis winston eating the w speech <laughs> so i'm glad we were somewhat on the same path it's just Jameis winston to me is is that that speech literally started them on like an 11 game losing streak so that was the more important one for me oh, this speech is just not good i would not want to play quidditch after that i would want to take a nap after this speech it was terrible it's pretty bad you also need to look up the ed dalton speech because it's also really bad and i think his voice cracks during it too <laughs> i'm sorry andy you're gonna make a great backup quarterback for the cowboys uh it's starting quarterback when dak doesn't sign his contract they got until i think july to work it out they're stuck four years versus five years on the term so we'll see what happens there i'm actually really excited the um third slash second string he's kind of fighting for the second string position on the Bengals is actually my sister's friend from central so we were afraid that dalton was going to stay on the Bengals and they were going to cut him because then it'd be the burrow and dalton duo but because dalton left he's he's still fighting for that second string position so go dola gala and uh hopefully you get a start here and there yeah i actually just saw something on reddit recently where it looks like the Bengals are actually pretty hyped about having him as their third string option at the least for right now uh their coach actually came out and said with uh, Joe, Ryan Finley, and other Joe, CCSU Joe, 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 Joe uh, Dolagala, right? Is that I'm saying it correctly? I believe so, yeah. I've never actually met him, but I think that's how you say Got it. Got it. Yeah, they're actually pretty excited about him. So good for good to put Connecticut, Central Connecticut on the map, especially. That's actually really cool. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Drew is still living in Connecticut, and I am also originally from Connecticut. 
but I'm now living in California, hence the name of the podcast, C2C, California to Connecticut, coast to coast, cover to cover, product placement. All right, so. <laughs> Back to Quidditch. <laughs> exactly. We took way too long. With this is why Sorry. I love Quidditch is because we just talk about football during it. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this was a fin- thinly veiled disguise. We're a football podcast now. <laughs> We didn't think we could come into the football market, so we had to go through the back door. We're branded as Harry Potter. It's like Prohibition right now, where you like knock twice on Spotify, and then our cover art flips around. It's just a football. (laughs) I think while we're kind of in the mood for sports, I'm going to do an introduction of our starting on the Gryffindor Quidditch team, both because they're all important characters, and also because we have no reserves and no reserves to introduce, which is great design in terms of getting this sport set up. Anyway, so I'm going in basically descending by position and also a little bit by year here. Our oldest, most senior member of the team, we have Oliver Wood, who is a fifth year keeper on the team, and he's also the Quidditch captain, which we'll kind of get into this a little bit, but Marcus Flint is the Slytherin captain, and he's a chaser, and he's also a fifth year. So it looks like we got a lot of youth out there in the Hogwarts Quidditch realm. So, I mean, if these are both largely young teams, they could be competitive for a while. Very excited about that. So we're going to keep going down the line here. For our chasers, we have Angelina Johnson, who is a third year. Uh, Alicia Spinett, also a third year. And then we have Katie Bell, who is a second year. I would imagine a relatively new member of the team. And thought it was very interesting that Gryffindor chases are all girls. So that is very cool. We do see a couple of girls on the Quidditch teams. Most famously, we will see Cho Chang is the Ravenclaw seeker during our later years of covering these books. Absolutely Um, least favorite Ravenclaw. She does not represent my house well. Hashtag not my Ravenclaw. Dude, that's mean. She's probably crying right now. (laughs) Exactly. So then we keep going, and we've got our beaters who are actually the Weasley twins, Fred and George Weasley. They're both third years and beaters. And then lastly, we have the man, the myth, the boy who lives, Harry Potter, seeker, first year. Yeah, absolutely crazy young core here. Like, just the fact that they have a first year on the team automatically lowers the average but all third years and below other than the captain is insane oh yeah man especially they could get super cohesive and you get like good passing among this and then the beaters are just doing their job i don't see how they can't be a good team for years honestly we're hoping that they could capture at least one title before oliver wood has to graduate from hogwarts and then he hates his life as a permanent reserve player on Polymer united yeah, I've been reading a lot of, um, I guess, Pinterest memes. Like, they're not, like, real memes. They have a ton of words. But a lot of memes about Oliver Flint and, like, how into Quidditch he is. Or Oliver Wood, excuse oh. me. I com- I combined the two captain's names. Combo. Combo time. And it was, like, his kids asking about Harry Potter 20 years after the story happened. They're like, Dad, 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 you were on the same team as, as like, the chosen boy, weren't you? Can, you? can you tell us about him? And he's like, yeah, I can tell you all about Quidditch. They're like, no, 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 we, we want to hear about Harry Potter. He's like, yeah, he's a great seeker. Let me tell you about our team that year. They're like, no, 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 no. we want to hear about, like, how he, his fighting and Expelliarmus and all the cool stuff. He's like, we talk about Quidditch or I kick you out of my house. <laughs> Why am I imagining him, like, out of shape, sitting on a recliner with, like, empty butterbeers all around his feet? Oh, it's so bad, but that's just the first image that pops into my head. Reruns of the 1750s World Championship Quidditch game on the TV. (laughs) He's watching his sixth-year game film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh my god, he he's like a good intense captain, but like I'm so surprised that that doesn't translate to him giving good pregame speeches because that's an absolute abomination. And especially like he hasn't learned from it because Fred and George say they've memorized his pregame speeches, and that means he just hasn't changed them at all. Or yeah. maybe he changes a couple words here and there. It's bad. Yeah. So not only does he think this is a great speech that he continues to give. But then even when he gets made fun of for it, he's like, no, that's just the Weasley twins being the Weasley twins. It's like, no, dude, you might actually be a terrible speech giver. Oh, no, it absolutely sucks. But we're at least freed from, I, I would probably say, goat-level commentary by Lee Jordan during these matches. I thoroughly enjoy every time he commentates a Quidditch match. It's great when they, they like, it's great when they get him into the match and they can show like him commentating. I always really enjoy that. I love him, and I wish McGonagall would do less filtering. Let the man oh, talk. Yeah, dude, let him say what he has to say. He's like, he's got not so hot takes that sound like hot takes, and I really appreciate it. So he's super focused on the game largely and gives really good, concise commentary. And he's not just that, but he's a multitasker, dude. Did you see him like trying to shoot his shot mid match with Angelina Johnson? He was like, oh, it's very attractive third year Gryffindor while he's like going through it. McGonagall's like, Jordan. He's literally like, play by play, color commentary, and Jimmy Garoppolo after a game all in one. <laughs> uh he's 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 good at what he does man he's uh, i think he's got he's got a future man if jim dance steps down anytime soon he's gonna be right there with tony and the premier cbs commentating crew i would love to hear him just adding some spice with tony here tony's got the x's and o's background and lee jordan's just got the fire with them and then while they're playing the game it's really pretty inconsequential what's going on it's just kind of back and forth pretty even in terms of goals scored here but Harry's trying to look for the snitch the entire time. That basically the goal of the seeker, you stay out of trouble and you just keep looking until you find the snitch and then you just dive after it. Or and you, and you could like try to fake out the other seeker. Like there's some tactics to it, but until the snitch is released and until it's visible, largely not a lot going for you. Not a lot that you have to do. But he's looking around and he's distracted by a golden glint and he looks around, but it's not the snitch. It's one of the Weasley twins so iced up on the pitch with a solid gold watch. We already got the boosters buying Harry and Nimbus 2000. Like, we know the Weasleys can't afford solid gold watches like that. Who is buying this for that would keep them on the Quidditch team and icing them up, man? I, they got to look into Gryffindor House, man. They're doing some illicit, like, donations to their players and whatnot. Like, there's no way. Yeah, the uh, the committee definitely has to do some investigations here. 100%, man. Lo and behold, we actually get a foul call here. I guess Hooch, like, woke up from her nap right as Harry was getting blitzed by uh, Marcus Flint, who is, like, twice his size. Gives him a good hockey check here, which I don't know if that should be allowed because I think you could go pretty fast on these brooms. I think you could kill somebody if you go fast enough and you just lay them out as, like, a bullet. But we're going to go into it, like you say, the only punishment for this foul, he's not put in like a penalty box or anything. Like Gryffindor just gets a free shot on goal. Like that's it. And it's only 10 points if you score a goal. So what is, why would you not just try to ram the seeker as hard as you can? Like you don't even have to throw a blood, hit a blunder at him. You could just die, like dive on full force into him and take him out of the game. Again, makes no sense. It's so easy to just take out the seeker and have zero repercussions on your team. I would assume that there's some post-game repercussions if you actually full-time injure the opposing players. Also, thank God for Dean that he actually knows that other sports exist because I was actually worried that Wizards are just the dumbest people of all time. He brings up red cards in soccer. Uh, at this point saying that the uh, Slytherin player should get a red card and the entire stance just looks him like he's a crazy person so every other wizard might be an absolute moron but 
thank you, Dean, for knowing that things exist outside of Hogwarts. True, I got to burst your bubble here. Dean is muggle-born, so that's why he does. Which is fine. <laughs> like, even Harry doesn't seem like he knows what basketball is. Like, I don't understand. These guys just don't know muggle stuff. Even the muggle-borns. To be fair, Harry was the one that brought up basketball. And Oliver Wood like, Wood's like, what's basketball? Is that a new Quidditch team? So I guess I guess just the Muggleborns. So it's just the wizards. The wizards are just idiots that yeah, weren't pure blood wizards. Pure blood wizards are idiots. Absolute morons. The muggle world. Right they by. don't know what dentists are. They don't know what soccer is. They don't know what basketball is. I like. They don't know what math is clearly because they came up with this money system and this Quidditch scoring and house cups. There's no defense yeah. of the intelligence of pure blooded wizards. Definitely right. I think we could have a lot of people agreeing to us here. Pure blood wizards are just ignorant. They're not great. So after this collision, uh, Harry kind of flies off by himself to kind of stay out of the way. and Which was the game like plan in the first place. 100% was the game plan, 100%. But now it like this is the tough part of the game too because like once this happens, the snitch resets. So like it'll just fly off and everybody loses track of it. Anyway, it puts everybody on a pretty level playing field once again. And it looks like the Nimbus 2000 that McGonagall purchased for Harry might actually be a bootleg version. She might have gotten it in illicit means because... The broom kind of starts acting out its own accord, or maybe it's not of its own accord. It's like trying to buck Harry off of it, which pretty high off the ground, definitely not safe. And another case, again, where the adults in this world are absolutely useless. Like the only people that go to try to help them are the Weasley twins. And like they fly up there and every time like they try to get close, the broom just kind of carries Harry away. And like Madame Hooch is sitting there with her hand in her pants, just watching this go down. And like McGonagall's clearly in the stands as you see her interrupt Lee Jordan. She's just probably like, oh my stars and like i love mcgonagall but like come on you have the ability to help this out here like why don't you do something and we also have more teachers in the stands this is not cool so madam hooch is useless continue i'll defend hooch on this one there's no need for the referee to step in when a 11 year old first year who shouldn't be playing the sport anyway can't handle his own broom okay if the if the actual wizarding professors who teach actual charms see that a charm's happening, then of course you should step in. But the lady who teaches Quidditch and flying sees the kid didn't learn to fly properly, that's his own fault. But this thing clearly looks like it's acting of its own accord, and then even if he is to get bucked off, do something to slow his momentum down so he doesn't smack into the ground. I mean, like, she'll probably catch him. She fell asleep while we were having this debate. There's no way she's <laughs> paying attention to save him. There's absolutely no shot. All right, in defense of Madam Hooch <laughs> video coming as well. Put me on that one, too. <laughs> to acknowledge here too that while this is going on they're not even stopping play to get this under control no and absolutely not Flint quidditch does not stop for anything no wow you're really right it does not stop for there, there's a three month long game on record through lightning thunderstorms i'm pretty sure a murder happened in the back just quidditch does not stop just because slytherins took advantage of that gotta shout out my slytherin cousins genius play there it's just so frustrating because this is like a dangerous situation and like you think somebody's life is more important than a basically a varsity high school game like i can't even find the right ways to put it because of how inconsequential this is i mean like, obviously when you put it game. that way <laughs> when you put it that way obviously i feel bad but like yeah like stop the game don't let the other team just score goals unabated like <laughs> no you don't let that happen there's no safer place that Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. But this exactly. Is no safer oh. place. There's only been one murder in the last 50 years. Oh my God. They make me want to throw up. So <laughs> thank God that. Even their own professors Granger... aren't even safe. Snape getting his leg bit off. Yeah. Nobody's safe at this school. This is a death trap. They, they don't even have a permission form to decide to send these kids here. They just send them and they don't care and they know what goes down. 
like i was thinking about this and like i was going to save this for the next episode but i want to ask you right now with all the shit that goes down at these schools like do you think when the parents go to pick their kids up at the end of the year they're like oh honey how was your year at hogwarts they're like oh that was great harry potter got into some shit and they were like oh that's nice honey good to hear let's go to get some birdie bots and they like take them to go get jelly beans or whatever do you think they listen to what these kids are talking about and then they're just like wow maybe i shouldn't send this kid my kid to the school maybe i should send them somewhere else more safe i completely understand yes and i completely understand the parent thinking the kid is just having an overactive imagination until half-blood prince the fact that kids still go to school in harry's sixth and seventh year is mind-blowing to me yeah i i don't understand Moving on. Maybe the school governors have the right call later on in the series. You'll see they try to shut down the school a couple times, which like maybe they're listening to me. I, I feel like I feel like at some know. point it probably should have been. Yeah, probably should have. Like Dumbledore is a fucking nutcase. He's a good wizard, but he's fucking crazy. So I don't want some crackpot running. <laughs> he's literally the craziest but, wizard of all time. Oh, but I love him, though. He's such a cool dude. Trial anyway, by fire in all situations is his entire motto. It really is. It's like, oh, I'll give you a chance to fail. Oh, you're failing pretty good. Let me jump in and save the day. Most of the time, he doesn't even save the day. You're right. He really. He sits in his chair and points and laughs and like gives a sermon about how he could have saved the day, but he doesn't actually do anything. Dude, like nine times out of ten, Dumbledore gets there either too late or he gets there just barely not too late. A wizard is never late. A A wizard is always right on time. Different book series, Gandalf (laughs) is more competent than Dumbledore. That is not a hot take. That is a hundred percent fact. Gandalf is literally a worse wizard than Dumbledore and still manages to do a thousand times more. Oh my god. Oh, it's so frustrating. We we left off before we went on that tangent. Harry was in a predicament. Uh Slytherin is scoring unabated goals. They're about to, they're racking up points. Their seeker must be terrible because he has every opportunity to find the snitch snitch right now. He should have been taking advantage of this. If you're saying he should have taken advantage, he should be taking advantage of this. But he is clearly not good. And that's why we don't see the same seeker basically every single year. I was going to say, I think that's a next year. I think that's a recurring thing for Slytherin is their seekers are actually horrible. Yeah, they tend to have they tend to have different seekers very often. So continuing on here, like, thank God that Hermione is actually intelligent and she's in the stands watching this game because she catches on like she Hagrid's like blubbering up in the stands with his binoculars. She's like, give me those. And she takes them and like she's looking around and she like sees Snape moving his mouth. And she's like, oh, he's jinxing Harry's broom right now. So that's what's going down. This dude is doing some shady shit. Got to save the day. Y'all stay behind. I got this. And then she like dips out. She runs through and her plan ends up being to just set Snape's robes on fire. So she goes over, sets them on fire. Like when she's running through the stand, she just bonks Quirrell out of the way in her rush to get there. And he sends him like tumbling down some rows of seats, which is hilarious. And shoddy execution. She like lights them on fire and quickly scoops it. But it does a trick. Harry's freed from the jigs. And he shows us truly what that mouth do. And he ends up swallowing the snitch for the catch, which, as we know, 150 points gives them the dub. Awesome. So dude went through some shit. They're like, we need to help you out. We need to calm you down. So they take him back to Hagrid's hut for some what they call strong tea. Like, what is that for a child? What is strong tea for a child? Just like very heavy decaf or like, uh, yeah, I feel what like goes it's, on here? it's just dark tea. Like, I guess less sugar and less cream. Like, I don't know. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Thank you for confirming for me, Drew. 
So they discuss what went down and like Hagrid, who is, as we know, the king of keeping secrets, he drops a ball about the name of the three-headed dog being, of course, what more appropriate than Fluffy as having that as a name. And they keep arguing, literally like Hagrid dude stapes up to something, like he was clearly jinxing Harry, like Harry saw this before, yada yada, all that. And like Hagrid won't, you're saying, very good point, having the back won't have any of this slander to the point where he's like arguing with them and then he gives up something else where he's like oh it's this whatever's down there that's between Dumbledore and Nicholas Fabel and like we've definitely heard that name before we need to wait for our crew to piece together where that name was from yeah this is just a long line of things that Haggard gives away in this book series at some point he just becomes a plot convenience like oh we need to figure out what to do next uh let's just go talk to Hagrid until he gives it to us exactly he'll you he's he's so reliable to just give away things and when in doubt just go to Hagrid he'll spill the beads on whatever you need him to spill that's like throw a little careful flattery in there too you're locked in also that's going, really what it boils down to going back to the uh setting Snape's rubs on fire real quick I thought it was interesting yep. the change they made for the movies where Hermione did not bash into Quirrell she did it much more stealthily like she went under the bleachers and then lit Snape's robes on fire next to Coral, or it was Coral's robes. I don't remember, but it's she did not like physically hit Coral in the movies, where she did here. I wish that happened. That would have been such good comedic relief, and it would have fit so well with like what those early movies did. Yeah, I actually like this better because in the movie, it's I don't think that would have distracted a good wizard enough. Whereas her straight out tackling him clearly distracted him enough. Yeah, and it definitely helped with, like, the illusion of, like, boom, get out of the way, big guy, and then light your robes on fire, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I definitely, seeing the book versus the movie, take the book book option on this one. Yeah, and I mean, we'll talk about it more in length when we put out some movie casts, but in terms of changes between books and movies, I think in the early ones, it's pretty even whether they're good or bad. I think you start to see further on, you see a lot more, oh, this change was not great versus what's in the book but i think it's a little more even like we talked about a couple before where we really like the lines in the movie and then we come back to the book and it's like oh that's not what it was that's kind of a bummer yeah it is like honestly instantly 50 50 the end of the quidditch match where harry does get back on his broom and swallows the snitch is done 100 better in the movie it's the pacing in the book was very strange we sit forever on harry almost dying and falling off his broom but then boom like 10 lines later the snitch is in his mouth like, I had to reread the line. I'm like, wait, what? What just happened? Where in the movie, it's very clear they like he, like, chokes on it for a little bit. You're like, where'd the snitch go? Why is he laying on the ground? It's, like, much much better for that section in the movie. Yeah, I could, I could agree with you there. Definitely well said. And do you have any other observations about Chapter 11 before we keep rolling, Drew? No, that was it for Chapter 11. Awesome. All right, let's keep this train going, then. We're going into Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. This is a big chapter, I think, in my opinion, Drew. I don't know if you feel the same way. So it's going to be a little fun at the start, but towards the end, we're going to kind of go get a little more serious. It's going to be a little more on a feels trip as we get to the end of this. What else can I say but buckle up? Oh, Ron, hold up. That's my pizza. But, dude, what do you mean? We're in the middle of recording. What, what, what pizza? Yeah, but I don't think you understand. Pizza versus recording, it's obvious who wins. See you later. Dude, we're busy. We plan this time slot. We're busy right now. Where are you going, Drew? 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 What? Ugh. All right, guys. So Drew's out, and my mom said I'm not allowed to talk to strangers by myself. So I think we're going to have to cut this episode short. Uh, tune in next time for the second half and rousing conclusion of this episode of the CTC Podcast Presents Harry Potter. Take care.